It's my joy to be with you today. Obviously, I appreciate Greg's uh, reflection this morning uh, that today is Palm Sunday. Um, I'm 44 years old, and I, I would imagine that, um, you know, um, I might not have come from a family that was in church all the time, but, you know, it's a tradition, right? You've got to be here on Palm Sunday, probably Easter and Christmas, right? And so I, I tried to calculate. I, I probably in my life have heard somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 sermons on Palm Sunday. Now, that may not be you today, okay? You may be, I am fresh. This is the first time I've ever heard this. But, but those of us who maybe have even walked a little further in life than I have, um, the danger would be this morning is that, you know, it's Palm Sunday. I'm going to put a mental check mark and kind of already walk to lunch in my head, right? <laughs> uh, and I would just plead with you this morning. I want to challenge you not to do that, okay? Um, I was, um, a couple weeks ago, let's see here. I was in uh, Alaska, probably no shock, right? Uh, and um, I went to a place called the Mendenhall Glacier. And I went there, it was about uh, probably six o'clock or so in the morning. And what you see in the picture is what I saw. And uh, there's a little trail off to the right that's about nine miles, but it's on the side of a mountain. And it was snow up to my mid calf. And I got about a mile into it, it was like, this is not worth it. <laughs> I'm turning back. Uh, and it was treacherous. It was kind of like steep in one sense. And so I came back and uh, gave up on that kind of dream of going and touching the glacier. Came back uh, about four o'clock that evening. And this is what I saw. If you notice, the fog has lifted. And while I tried to take this little trail off to the side, um, I realized that there was a frozen, well, I thought it was a frozen lake, mostly a frozen lake, we'll just say that. And I was like, how easy would it be just to walk straight across and get to the glacier that way? And, and so I show you this to, to simply say this, okay? This is why I don't want you to check out. Maybe some fog in the heart has lifted over the last year, right? Maybe the sun's shining. Maybe we'll try to see some different angles today. But, but what, you know, if, if I had just went there and checked out at this point, I would not have seen the beauty of what this was. And I did make it to that glacier, by the way, and I actually got a picture kissing it. <laughs> so I don't know why I did that. I got thinking, I was like, what if my lips got frozen to it and there's nobody else around me? Uh, but hey, you know, you all make bad decisions in life, right, sometimes? Uh, but luckily I didn't do that. It didn't stick. So, you know, uh, but I hope today as we're looking at a, a, a text that you may have heard many times, we're going to look at Matthew 21 that uh, maybe there's a new angle we'll look at today. Uh, I'm gonna, I've got a couple different angles we're going to try to shine some light on, and it's these. When Jesus didn't let the people present him as king, we're going to look at some of that. Number two, we're going to look at this. Jesus stopping the chariots, horses, and breaking the bows. And three, we're going to look at this. When the glory left the temple to return on a donkey. And so my prayer is that Maybe some fogs lifted, maybe some new angles on this, but that when you leave here today, you will have a deeper appreciation for what Christ has done and what this day means. So if you're capable of, let's stand in honor of reading God's word. We want to give it its due. This morning we'll be reading Matthew 21, uh, verses 1 through 12. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, 
Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds, sorry, let me get, this, get you guys on the right page here. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd says, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the, ta- the tables of the money changers and the seat of those who sold pigeons. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to bless the reading of your word today, Lord, that um, your spirit will come now and do what no man can do, and Lord, that's wrestle with hearts. God, we have people from so many different backgrounds, so many different experiences, and Lord, you need to do a work in each one of those people today, and so Lord, I'm incapable, but you are capable today. So Lord, unleash your spirit in this room. May all people look past the speaker into Christ today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Beloved, feel free to grab a seat. Thank you for standing. So we'll go back and just kind of approach this in sections. I think that's the easiest way to approach text. Uh, Matthew 21, 1 through 3. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. What I want to start with today is what you see in Jesus is very much strong intentionality about what's happening, right? He initiates this moment, right? He points his face towards Jerusalem. He knows where he's going. He plots his route, right, through the Mount of Olives. He sends two disciples to go find this donkey and the coat of a donkey. Uh, and specifically, if we took all the other gospel accounts and kind of meshed them together, we'd find it was one that's never been set on before. And he even prophesies that this is what's going to happen. When you get there, they're going to ask you, hey, what are you doing? Taking my donkey, right? Which would be a probably a common response, right? Out in Geneva, probably get you shot, right? <laughs> um, but he says, this is what I want you to say when this happens. So obviously he's prophesying what's getting ready to happen in the encounter, right? But what's easiest to deduct, and I think we got to go with the, the main thing is the plain thing, is that what's getting ready to happen is Jesus wills it to happen. He wants what's getting ready to happen to happen in a very specific manner, in a very specific way. He wants to be brought into Jerusalem in the way that he desires it. And, and one of the angles I wanted to approach this from today is this is almost totally contrasting to the way Jesus normally carried himself. And let me give you a couple scriptures to point this out, because what I say is not significant, but, but what the scripture says is, this is Jesus' very first miracle. You guys know the story, right? Uh, they're having a uh, wedding banquet. The wine runs out. Uh, Jesus' mother says, hey, they don't have any wine, but my son can fix this. He goes, what are you doing? <laughs> my hour's not come yet. Uh, and, and the mother says, do whatever he says to do, right? 
And we find out that he does turn water into wine at that point. But what's significant of this and what I want you to get is he doesn't desire to be front and center, right? In fact, the person who was kind of the headmaster of the wedding didn't even know who was responsible for doing it, right? So put that in the back of your mind, okay? Hang on with me for a minute, okay? Here's another example of this found in Luke 5, verses 12 through 14. When he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. You get this right? Intentionality. I charge you, do not tell anyone what I've just done. Okay? Just in case you think I'm just making this up, we've got a couple more of these, all right? Here's Mark 7. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay hands on him and taking him aside from the crowd. Look at this. I mean, man, he could have done it publicly, right? People would have been aroused up with love for God, right? But he doesn't do that. It's very peculiar. He takes him off privately. And he put his fingers in his ear and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Apathva, that is, be open. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell charged them to tell no one, but the one he charged, the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it, right? Uh, He's basically, and I want you to get this, all throughout his ministry, he's resisting the very thing that he's orchestrating on Palm Sunday. He wants to be behind the scenes. He does not want people to see what he's doing. Did you know there's actually a time in the scripture where the people actually wanted to coronate Jesus as king, and he said no. This is in Mark or John 6, sorry. Let me magical clicker here. So he had just done a miracle. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, this is a prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then, this is Jesus perceiving, that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You you hear what's going on here? I mean, Palm Sunday, don't miss it. It's Jesus saying, coronate me as king. I mean, that's clear. In John 6, he runs away from it. He's like, I do not want you to coronate me as king. I'm getting away from it. He withdraws himself. But something changes. And you start to see this in the the development of Jesus' life. That at some point here, he no longer is saying, hey, it's not the right time, right? Not right now. Uh, in fact, we're in Matthew 21 in Palm Sunday, right? So if you back up one page, if you've got your Bible still open, uh, we see in Matthew 20, one chapter earlier, in chapter 20, verses 9, uh, search me 29 there, I'm sorry, 29 through 34, we read this. And as they went out to Jericho, a great crowd was following him, okay? So you get the imagery here, right? You've got a great crowd going. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, And when they heard Jesus was passing by, they cried out, 
Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them. Don't you love that? Shh, stay in your mess. (laughs) Man, they cried out again, didn't they? All the more loud. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do? I love it. (laughs) They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now, what I want you to understand is when they're crying out, son of David, they are referencing, I believe it's, I've got it written down, 2 Samuel 7. There was this prophecy that the Messiah was going to come, that he was going to be from the lineage of David. And so when they are saying, son of David, in public, and he responds to that, he's basically saying now publicly, I am the Messiah. I am fulfilling that. And not only that, but where does he do this miracle? In public. It's the contrast of all of his ministry up to this point. In essence, he is to say what he's resisted the whole time now needs to take place. And so our question for us today is this, why for the change? Why from, hey, in private, don't tell anybody about this, I want to keep it very kind of on the down low, you could say, right, to now I'm literally going to respond to messianic titles. I'm marching into a city with a crowd. I'm healing people, which just makes the euphoria go up and up and up, right? Why? He's basically encouraging proclamations now of his kingship. And I propose it goes back to this, the very first miracle that we looked at today with the water to wine. Is there a line in here that kind of sticks into your heart? Come on, help me out. We'll we'll do student ministry. Hours not come. That's right. See, there were prophecies written hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus was born on this earth. And what he's doing is he is ordering things to happen in a very specific manner at a very specific time. And what we get is just the teeniest little glimpse into the divinity of God and the foreordination ability of God, that he can order things to happen in the exact ways that he wants it to. But this shouldn't shock us, right, at all, because Jesus said some profound things about things like this. He said this in Matthew 10, 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, but not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. See, our sovereign God is ordering all things in creation. And we see that, right? I pray that you see that in your own life and explicitly in the events of Palm Sunday. I mean, think think of me just for a moment, okay? If Jesus would have let them exalt him as king when they desired... They would have done it in their way, right? They would have, he wouldn't have had time, first of all, to disciple his disciples, right? He wouldn't have had a chance to do that. They probably would have taken him, instead of putting him on a donkey, what would they have put him on? A stallion, right? I don't know much about horses, but that's kind of the common choice for those who are kings, right? Not a donkey. They would have taken him to Jerusalem in the route that they wanted to, right? And when they would have taken him to, the, the, to Jerusalem, they wouldn't have taken him to the temple probably. You know where they would have marched him to? Right up to the Roman rulers. Because they would have been coordinating him as a military leader, right? They would have done it their way at their timing. 
And he would have came in as a rebel, not a suffering servant that he was coming into Jerusalem to be. But see, Jesus didn't allow this because the reason why is because he's executing God's plan in God's way, in God's timing. And beloved, that should be a great deal of comfort to you today in the Lord's ability to make things come about to his desired end. You think about this for a minute, beloved. Philippians 2 says this, as we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, and there's times it's going to be that way, remember, it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. So when you're in the midst of that, struggling to kind of get the roots of your foundation of your faith in, in place, it's the Lord also, and is he hindered in any way? No. No. So you may go through some difficult things to root your faith, but just know this, that there's a sovereign God who, just like he ordered all things on Palm Sunday, is ordering your life to produce the faith that you need. So don't shy away from those things, beloved, right? Rest secure in Christ this morning if you're in Christ. We read on in our passage in Matthew 21, picking up in verse 4. This took place to fulfill what, the, what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a beast, a burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. We understand here that Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy that was written years before his birth. It's actually recorded... Uh, Actually, we'll look at a couple places, but uh, mainly in Zechariah. And uh, this is Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. And I've got a little bit more of the prophecy here, and you'll see why in a minute. When the writer, by the way, Matthew, is quoting this text, he's saying, if you want to find out what Jesus was doing, go to look at this prophecy. This is what he's doing. Zechariah 9, 9, we read this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. Hey, grab a drink. So when Jesus does these things, he's simply saying this prophecy is being fulfilled in your presence. God's plan, God's ways at God's timing. It's amazing how much prophecy is being fulfilled, by the way, with each Jesus' decision. Uh, If you look at Genesis 49, they said there will be a lion that comes out of the house of Judah and he'll be riding a donkey's colt. So again, you see this, right? And we know Jesus is the Lion of Judah, right? Coming out, uh, marching into Jerusalem. He is coming as a king. No longer is he delaying this revelation, but he's coming to bring salvation. But it's interesting. Did you notice in the, biggest pa- the bigger passage in Zechariah, it says that salvation is going to be brought by cutting off chariots and the war horses, breaking the bows, and speaking peace to the nations, And that his rule is going to go from sea to sea. Now, while 
and prophecy often does this, it will have a local fulfillment partially, but then there's a bigger messianic fulfillment. He's going to bring peace by breaking the bows, the chariots, and the war horses. And keep in mind, okay, like follow with me for a second, okay? This isn't like hippie peace, right? (laughs) This is the peace like between warring fractions is what the peace is here. Be like two nations that are at war with each other and peace is going to be brought is what it's saying. And here's what we need to think about. Who then is the warrior mounted on chariots? Who's the one with the horses, the war horses, and who's got the bow bent back, ready to fire it? It's the Lord God. The right punishment for sin is death. I mean, you get this imagery, right? We love the book of Revelations. He's mounted on chariots, and he's got these horses ready to go, right, to revenge sin. Not quite so reassuring when we realize that's what we had to have peace from, is a God who was rightly ready to punish sin fully, mounted on the brim of heaven, ready to destroy the entire creation because of sin. And just so you don't think I'm just making this up, Listen to what this language is in Romans 5. For if, with, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see the language here? Enemies. Reconciliation is needed. I mean, in our sin, okay, and if you are a son and daughter of Adam, you have been born into sin unless your name is Jesus Christ, right? Uh, And there's a uniqueness there because he wasn't, and it showed. But we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we sin, you've got to understand, sin in its right connotation is holy rebellion. It is looking at the God of the universe who created us and saying, I'm doing things my way, not your way. I mean, it would be, I was trying to think of a great illustration for this, okay? And I think, Geneva, this will help you out, okay? I decided to take on the government. That's not, not too odd out here, right? <laughs> and so I go home today, and I design my own flag. I don't know what you want to call it. United States of Aaron, maybe. <laughs> and I build a stick, stick fort in my front yard, right? And I raise my little flag up in the front yard. And I go, come and get me. I'm ready for you. And the United States probably doesn't even recognize it for about 10 years, but then they finally realize that I'm over here with my little fort, right? And they fly the first B-52 over, and they go, do you want to do it? I mean, the, the air pressure alone makes my whole fort fall down, right? Um, I use this illustration that if you're sitting here today in your sin and rebellion against your God, you look far more foolish, I know April Fool's Day was yesterday, but today, that's who you are. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. And you have a stick for it, which is your life and all your little sins that you love. And you're standing there in the yard of your life that God gave you. God designed you. He created you. He gave you the breath. He's even giving you the breath you breathe out rebellious sayings towards him. And you're an enemy of him. Keep in mind of that. 
But we have a God that's willing to die for his enemies. That he comes to speak peace, to break the bows, to cut off the chariots, to stop the war horses. I mean, this is what we read about in the prophecy of Jesus' life in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray and had turned each one to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, skipping down to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. See, Jesus is fulfilling the will of the Lord. And, you know, really, things this grand we have to be careful to speak of lightly. I mean, you think about this. Jesus walks into Jerusalem to be crushed, that we could be reconciled with God. I mean, you think upon that. Because the rightful punishment for sin needs to be paid. That's why he pleads out on the cross. Forgive them, they have no clue what they're doing. That's why he shouts out, why have you forsaken me? The war horses, the wrath. He steps in front of it and he takes every drop of it down for us that are in Christ. He opens his mouth and the wrath that was rightly mine comes right upon him at that moment. Don't see just nails and and Roman soldiers mocking him and stabbing him. It's far deeper than that. Upon him is the punishment that brought us peace. And if we placed our faith in Christ today, that peace is yours. We have peace today with God. And if you're hearing this for the first time, the opportunity for peace for you with God is available today. If you have ears to hear, respond this morning. Amen? Amen. 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 I love the end of this prophecy, by the way. The Lord will be pleased at his offering and extend his days. And that's next week, by the way. Easter. He will raise from the dead. Amen? Amen. Let's continue on in our Matthew 21 passage, verses 8 through 12. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is Jesus of Naz- from, from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seat of those who sold pigeons. I don't even think they know what they're doing sometimes. They're shouting out, Hosanna, which literally means, I beg you to save us. And Jesus travels some Four miles, and I've got uh, a map here from Bethpage 
down into the temple, right? And it would make total sense if you look at the map that Jesus would have came in the eastern or what's called the golden gate of the city, right? Go back to our passage. I love what he does. What does he do when he first gets there? He goes into the temple, right, and rebukes sin. Get these things out of the house of the Lord, right? Again, I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think the route that he takes, I don't think where he goes, I don't think any of that is just a coincidence. I think this is very intentional in the way he's doing this. We read about a prophecy in Ezekiel 10. It says this. It's a horrific prophecy about the soon coming judgment from the Babylonians, I believe. Ezekiel 10, 18 and 19 reads this. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground. And as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the eastern gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the Lord of Israel was above them. You see this profound judgment that God's glory is going to depart the temple. It's leaving out the eastern gate. And what that was a sign is that now you are going to face impending judgment. But I want you to notice that God's glory leaves the temple and goes out the eastern gate. Now, Ezekiel prophesies later on in chapter 43, verses 1, and we'll skip kind of around here, that this is going to happen. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory. Verse 6. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place where my throne and the place where the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings by their whoring or by their dead bodies of the kings at their high places. And I think, sure, in Ezekiel in one sense, we have a fulfillment of that, the restoration of the temple, right? But was it ever truly where they would no longer defile his name? No. We read in Malachi, right? The priests are already defiling the Lord's name again. But you see one coming through Bethpage, through the eastern gate. Where does he go to? The temple. The one that is the king of kings. The one that is the glory of God. The one that will rightly reign forever. The one that will show forth, this is what God is like. This is the beauty of who he is. Get out, you money changers. Get out of here. This temple will be holy. But don't be confused. It's not an earthly temple, right? Jesus told him about this, right? John 2, 18 through 22. So the Jews said to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said to him, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? 
But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word of Jesus had spoken, the words Jesus had spoken. Jesus is the true and better temple of God. He's where the glory of God dwells permanently, not temporal like an earthly temple, right? And don't be mistaken, when he died, the curtain tears. Now listen, somebody came in there and said, well, I got to sew this curtain up, right? Because for a few more years, it kind of dragged on like, a, like you see in a movie, a dead man, right? He's kind of dead, but he's not quite dead yet. It dragged on to 70 AD, but that was not where God was. That temple was done. It was like Ezekiel talked about, a dry place until it was finally destroyed and good riddance with it because it was a fake. It was a shadow. It was pointing to something far grander than itself, not built with rocks, but Christ. I love what this text says. They didn't get it. Maybe the fog is lifted for you this morning. You get it. The disciples didn't get it when he said it. But I love what it says. After he raised from the dead, they remembered and they believed. And beloved, that's what I pray for you today. That as we've taken our time and kind of worked through this text, that you have remembered and believed this morning. That you've thought maybe the first time upon this. What has Christ done for you on Palm Sunday? Man, what are we going to be celebrating next week? Why it has so much significance. The true and better temple has been raised in three days, as Christ said. Amen? Amen. Amen. So today, um, if you have remembered, maybe for the first time, you've thought about this and you need to repent and believe, uh, I've got Elder Raymond, Elder John will be up here. Uh, I'm going to simply lead us in a a very simple song, uh, one we sung just a few moments ago, and we're going to sing that out. And um, I I pray uh, that uh, you'll have a chance here to respond. Uh, As Pastor Conrad always says, uh, this is an altar. If you need to come pray, if you need one of these men to pray with you, uh, they'll be happy to. If you want me to pray with you, just grab me. Man, there's nothing more significant I can do the rest of my day than to sit here and talk to you about the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day and for your goodness, Lord. And as we uh, sing out to you here in a moment to behold you, Lord, may you do the work among your people uh, to show forth Christ today, and may you lead people into decisions. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said.